Hi and welcome to the HSJ Health Check podcast. I'm your host Annabelle Collins and this week I'm joined by Henry Anderson and Nick Tuno. Last week annual data on race equality within the NHS workforce was published. We've taken a closer look as to what it reveals about leadership in the NHS, in particular whether ethnically diverse trusts are represented by their leaders. I'll be talking more to Nick about what the data reveals. Also this week, integrated care systems have have been given their financial marching orders from the NHS and they have been told they must break even this year. However, many have pushed back against this and have branded it unrealistic. Will they be successful in this rebellion? Hopefully Henry will have some answers a bit later. But first, let's talk about the race equality data. Nick, you've written a handful of pieces about this year's data since it was published last week, um, but it was actually collected over a year ago. Maybe that's something we'll, we'll talk about in a bit, but I'm particularly interested in the most recent piece of analysis you've written on leadership and workforce representation. It would be interesting to hear um, perhaps just a little bit of context around what the data shows and then kind of what you what you were looking at in this most recent analysis. Yeah, that's right. Um, So for some quick background, last week, today, as we uh, uh, talk on this podcast, the race quality standard was published for 2021 and some new data on ethnicity, um, ethnic diversity in in top leadership roles was presented. And one of the things that stood out was that there was a drop in trust trust executive directors from ethnic and minority backgrounds for the first time since records were first collected. And they declined from 155 in 2020 down to 144 in 2021. And this is interesting for two reasons. The first is because there have been calls to boost the number of executive directors from ethnic minority backgrounds for years. Indeed, we've seen non-executive directors play an important role in any trust board and their roles are integral to how a trust functions. But there are roles on the executive side that do not see a lot of appointments from ethnic minority backgrounds, for example, chief executives, chief nurses, chief finance officers and so on. So seeing that drop was, was quite interesting and in that context made it for an interesting look into how things have progressed over the last few years. The second point is because the res that was just published showed for the first time that the percentage of executive board members from ethnic minority backgrounds compared to their respective workforces had declined year on year since 2019. So the average gap between representation of ethnic minority staff in the overall workforce comparative to the trust board had had basically declined and that gap had increased from 11% in 2019 to 12.6% in 2021. So those were the two interesting things that we found from the res that had just been published. And so my colleague and I, Lawrence, dug a little deeper into the data that is often published alongside the res to look at this at trust level. And we were able to identify the trust that had the highest composition of staff from ethnic minority backgrounds and the lowest representation at a board level. That includes executives, non-executives, and very senior managers, both on the clinical side and the non-clinical side. And we were able to find that there were at least 10 trusts where at least a fifth of their workforce were from ethnic minority backgrounds, but essentially had no ethnic minority executives. And for example, Barking, Hearing and Redbridge University Hospitals Trust and acute provider in in East London uh, had the highest ethnic minority representation at 52% followed by Ashford and St. Peter's Hospitals Foundation Trust at 39%, 
and the Royal Papua at 25 percent. And as you mentioned at the top of the podcast, uh, NHS England uh, collected its data and it was correct as as at uh, March 2021. Therefore, things have likely changed for a lot of trusts in that time. But we approached all 10 of the of the top trusts for comment and so that they would clarify, explain their figures in their responses as it would have changed uh, during the course of a year. And for Barking, they've since appointed a board level executive director for equality, diversity and inclusion alongside some VSMs from an ethnic minority background. And the Royal Papworth said that the v the only VSMs in their structure are executives, as did East Suffolk and North East Essex. Uh, one trust that did stand out was Yeovil District Hospital Foundation Trust in that 21% of their staff are from ethnic minority backgrounds, but their entire board, including non-executives and VSMs and executives were all white as at the time of the of the data being captured and that mm. still seems to be the case. Yeah, it was quite an interesting one, isn't it, Nick? Because mm. um, I was also wanted to talk about kind of what this might reveal about the trust's recruitment practices, particularly their international recruitment practices. Because mm. when you when you mention Yeovil, I have the really strong association between Yeovil and um, really well established international recruitment, and right. they've sort of been used as like a model trust for that mm. for a mm. few years. Um, I just wonder, was that a trend you noticed in other trusts? Did they have quite a strong presence of international staff, or was actually Yeovil a bit unusual in that sense. Yeovil did stand out, but I would assume that there are other trusts that would have a similar sort of uh, sort of model to them, and that would have been reflected in the data. We did see from the overall data that a lot of the the staff that had come in during 2021, as it has been increasing over time, the number of ethnic minority staff joining the NHS has increased um, uh, quite significantly each year. Um, and that would have been a lot down to overseas recruitment as well. It would have been mm. people coming in from abroad and, and taking up roles um, in, in trusts across the country. But the mm. Oval did stand out for that reason. You're right. Mm. And that's, of course, not to say that there shouldn't, you know, they, the trust shouldn't have diverse leadership. Um, no. And perhaps no. to kind of go, get into that a bit more, um, NHS England had set a target, I think, was it by 2025? That leadership? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Do you want to so, explain a bit about that? Yeah, so essentially back in August of 2020, NHS England set out its phase three response to the COVID pandemic. And in that response, they told local organisations that each trust board needs to ensure that their leadership in percentage terms match the overall composition of their workforces from ethnic minority backgrounds um, by within the next five years. So effectively within five years time by 2025. And they had to do it either by the percentage of their workforce or their communities, mm. whichever was the higher. And that's that's a priority for every trust, irrespective of of who it is. So for Yeovil, that would be 21% of their workforce. And, and as the data show that they still had an all white um, board, they they probably um, need to look at different ways to try and boost their figures to kind of match that workforce uh, percentage. But um, as I said, as we talked about at the, at the very top, um, this data is a little out of date. So we obviously we we understand that that trust will have made uh, strides since then, and a lot of them told us that they had put in different strategies to change up their recruitment. Some had introduced different types of panels or recruitment strategies or or 
or basically co-producing some of their policies with staff to ensure that they are actually on the right track. So this was more of a snapshot in time as to where the NHS mm. was rather than it was to kind of pick on any one trust. It was just interesting to see the data and dig into it, dig into it a little bit more. Mm. And also, um, it might be interesting to talk about, you know, they set they set this target, but actually it's not just about achieving this target, but it's better for, for patients and better for staff mm. experience as well. Mm. Um, is there is there evidence that um, having a leadership that's representative of either or both the community or the workforces is, is better in both those measures? I mean, what what has been talked about a lot, especially by Roger Klein, is is the fact that obviously racism and and tackling discrimination in the NHS is a crucial part of improving uh, patient safety and care, and also just ensuring that essentially all measures of how a trust perform uh, is at its best, and you know reducing discrimination in all forms, never mind ethnicity and and so on, is important if if the trust is to is to be successful. For example, if trust uh, staff, if staff in the trust were to feel discriminated against or marginalized or feel like they're not as valued as others because of the color of their skin or their gender or their race or their disability, whether it's known or not, then it's not really possible for them to perform at the at the absolute highest standard that they know that they can achieve. If you're feeling like you're in an organization where you're just going to be blamed constantly and not able to do your job, then then of course that's going to impact patient safety. So that's one aspect. The other aspect is also being able to get into those senior roles because there are a lot of people, regardless of background, who are very talented, very ambitious and want to progress to the highest roles but as we've seen in the data that as you progress it tends to be as you progress as someone from an ethnic minority background through the bands the the number of people who are able to get to those roles becomes smaller and smaller and smaller in fact in the in the latest data that, that is presented by the workforce race equality standard from band 8a it's 15.1 percent of staff who are from ethnic minority backgrounds in that in that category but when you get to Band 8D is 9.4%, and there's the same for band 9. So it becomes smaller and smaller. And never mind that when you look at band 5, it has the largest proportion at almost 30%, but then it drops down to 19% at band 6. And this is all in the context of the workforce race equality standard, you know, basically tracking the energy's progress on reducing workforce discrimination, it still stands that the relative likelihood of white applicants being appointed from shortlistings across all posts compared to BME applicants is 1.61. And that stayed the same in 2021 and 2020, and it's in fact increased from 2019 to 2020 and then stayed in 2021. And indeed for disciplinary processes, as we go back to patient care and patient safety, what uh, staff from ethnic minority backgrounds are still 1.14 times more likely to enter those disciplinary processes than white staff. So the evidence is is there and has been talked about a lot in terms of how discrimination impacts patient safety, the importance of getting diversity 
it's particularly by ethnicity as it has been uh, really focused on in the last few years at the top of the NHS, ensuring that that is 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 worked on, how that can improve not just patient care, not just the performance of a trust, but also to ensure that staff feel valued and are able to do their job at the best of their abilities, because that's the whole point of 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 having a healthy workforce, engaged workforce, a workforce that will that will be able to do its job at its maximum is ensuring that people feel valued and able to come to work and not feel like they're going to be discriminated against because of who they are. And so um, just finally, Nick, is it is it possible to take an even more granular look at the data and kind of split it out into kind of ethnic and, you know, gender group or religion or kind of get an even, um, yeah, more more granular insight into representation um, within leadership or does it not have that kind of flex to it? So at the moment the data that we've seen has been published by NHS England doesn't have it at such a uh, such a level. I mean mm. the the res uh, for the res that has been published does include staff survey results but these are from 2020 so they are even further back from from even the data that was presented on executives and non-executives and VSMs and it does go into that detail um, uh, it shows it at a more granular level, but it wouldn't it wouldn't be the current snapshot that we have now in in April 2022. I guess that's something that NHS England would would have to explore moving forward, and it would be interesting to see that at a more granular level. Mm. Um, in terms of gender, it 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 doesn't have it like that either, and that's mm. also something that would would be worth looking into. But uh, as I understand it, the 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 sort of the, the sort of forward look is to get that granular data and continue to publish it in a way that demonstrates what the landscape looks like. It's it's more nuanced and it's more it's it's different in different ways. For example, different regions will have seen greater progress on some fronts than it would have others, and some will have seen less progress than others. And and seeing the overall national picture is important, but that granular data, not just that ethnicity, not just a gender, not just a disability, but also regional level will be important because it will then be able to allow trust to be able to hone in and 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 really focus in on those areas where they are lacking and falling behind and improving even on the places where they are doing slightly better. Mm. Mm, absolutely, thanks very much, Nick. I think now's a good point to move on to um, our second story this week, a financial story. Um, and it's something that you've been looking at, um, Henry. So as I said, um, it's around ICSs pushing back against quite a stringent ask from NHS England um, to break even. Perhaps first you could just um, set out what what's caused these uh i imagine quite fraught negotiations hello yeah so a few weeks ago we reported a story um on draft guidance for, for, the, for the current financial year but that said all systems would have what nhs england called a new legal duty to break even um they didn't actually say what the consequences of not meeting this duty were which was interesting because a few weeks Later, just last week, we published a follow-up revealing that, in fact, lots of places aren't going to be able to break even, and they have um, submitted draft budgets to NHS England, which uh, some of which included deficits of 100 million or more. Um, so it's important because it's, it's not just a few areas that are having these problems. Um, 
it appears to be fairly widespread. And so um, you've been, as I understand, you've been talking to a few systems about, you know, why this is a problem. What what have they what have they been saying? Why are they so concerned about this? Yeah, so I guess the concern is that you have a number of different um, priorities, um, you know, one of which elective recovery. And there's also the kind of ongoing challenges in <clears throat> in urgent care. Um, and then the kind of all the things that were there before the pandemic about the, the need to transform services. So there all those things point to effectively spending more money. Um, and then you have this other pressure, which is actually no, now you have to bear costs down. So uh, one CEO basically said to me that, that, that there is a point at which you have to say we can't do all these extra things. Um, and I guess just to give a, a bit of context um, as to what's kind of what's behind it, what's really driving these um, cost pressures, as they're called. Um, another CEO said to me that basically it's inflation energy bills and COVID are all running a lot hotter than first anticipated when the guidance came out. Um, so inflation, obviously, you know, in the news all the time, I think hit 7% yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to increase further this year with, with energy prices. Um, and just to kind of indicate how that affects the NHS, the, the tariff, um, which is less important now than it used to be, but is used as a kind of um, guideline for how much a unit of activity costs that used inflation figures from October 21 and obviously they are now uh, well out of date um, so there's inflation there's energy costs um, as part of that with hospitals being big consumers of energy and then the final piece of the jigsaw is Covid um, so in this financial year 22-23 trusts will lose about half of their Covid funding Mm. Um, but it's not clear that the impact of COVID in money terms is half of what it was last year. So what do you think kind of with all these really stressful competing things going on what do you think NHS England was trying to achieve by setting trying to get ICSs to agree to this very difficult um, ask? Yeah um it's an interesting one. Um, when we, one of the panelists at the HSJ Provider Summit, um, and this was under Chatham House rules, so we can't say who it was, um, but said in the past, basically, the NHS sort of operated on a system of what he called funny money, which is essentially this idea that trusts at the start of the year produce plans saying they'll break even, um, a portion of them don't break even. And then NHS England or the Department of Health doles out some extra money during the year. And then once that's added to their their, their budgets, they break even. Um, and so what NHS England is trying to do with the new integrated care systems is really push all that money out to the systems. So if in the past you've got this emergency funding, that now just becomes part of your budget and you have to handle that Um and the idea was that you'd sort of wipe the slate clean, you'd start afresh. Um, the trust becomes less important as a financial unit, and what matters is the system. So, in theory, you can have a you could have a system, and if one trust was in deficit but the other ones balanced out with a surplus, then the system would show as break even, which was probably the initial intention. The problem comes in the current context where you have. 
uh, lots of trusts that are basically saying we can't do that we're all submitting deficits and the problem manifests at the system level and we've basically been told that almost all of the draft plans submitted to NHS England by systems um, contained spending gaps, so, so deficits. And there was something in the story that sh- which I'd not heard of before, um, the story that you published this week on it, about a risk reserve um, and the idea that perhaps NHS England um, might kind of make local systems sweat and um, maybe kind of force the balance sheets to the max, but then come out with a big wad of money at the end of the year is that is that have I got that right yeah it's, it's the kind of the big question so I thought because I believe there was a, a CEO that said that and the, the question is is yeah how much has NHS England pushed out to the systems and how much has it is there this kind of little pot of money I would imagine that the kind of challenges seem f- so widespread that the NHS England, it wouldn't just be a question for NHS England, it would be a wider question for the government um, and for um, the Treasury in particular. Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of what happens next, um, so so some of these, these systems are facing uh, deficits of more than 100 million. And this is after the constituent trust come, come back with what are in some cases quite challenging um, efficiency plans um, that, that, you know, although they um, they say they're going to achieve them, but what they're proposing is well above what has historically been achieved in terms of the percentage of savings you can shave off in one year. So again, going back to the provider summit, there was a kind of, you'd speak to people who were quite high up in these systems and they, they knew that they wouldn't be able to break even. So the question, I guess the ball goes back to NHS England's court. Um, in the past, the trust could set a trajectory, so maybe they get rid of their deficit in two, two, three, four years. Um, so not breaking even in one year, but over a series of years, gradually bringing the deficits down. Um, I'm not sure, you know, that would be against what is in the draft guidance. Um, sorry, the final guidance, which was published this week. Um, you know, and I was, I was speaking to um, one chief finance officer. Um, and he basically said it's almost sort of a moral dilemma is do you set a um, do you kind of meet the requirement by setting a, a break even budget that a you know you can't achieve or you won't achieve um, or b if you did achieve there would be sort of serious impacts to the kind of quality of service you delivered and then there's an, another option which is just you set a um, you kind of set a, a break-even budget or a deficit budget and just hope that there is going to be a, a bailout um, somewhere along the way. Mm. Um, I mean, there is a there is an interesting uh, commenters on on the story. We're making this point that it, it's it's quite a, a difficult starting point for the for the ICSs. Um, they're coming into being facing these quite challenging uh, asks, and people were saying, well, it will really uh, reveal um, or expose how independent or not uh, ICSs will be and whether they can kind of speak up. Um, you know, one person suggested that a system should should set a deficit budget, but say this is what, these are the services that we are going to have to cut or halt to meet that. Um, I just, yeah, if anyone has any ideas or, or wants to share what they're doing, uh, you can reach me at henry.anderson at hsj.co.uk. 
Um, so, so please do get in touch. In terms of the kind of, yeah, the next, the next, the next steps. Um, it's been suggested to me that NHS England is asking systems to separate out inflation costs from other costs. So, maybe you have a deficit, and you might say that most of that is because of higher inflation. Um, not sure what will happen with that. It could be a negotiating tool. Mm, thanks very much. Just just finally, Henry, I wondered um, what your thoughts were and what this might do to perhaps relationships as ICSs. Some of them have been around and operating um, quite well for a while. Some of them are just sort of becoming statutory. Um, do you think it perhaps sets, sets things off on a kind of a bad footing, this sort of um yeah having to have these sort of negotiations and kind of people being quite irritated by it i think yeah i, I think that's definitely a risk um i guess the sort of big question is is what is nhs england's role in this is it kind of mm. you know just um taking the the package of, of of money and kind of imposing it or is it kind of speaking up back to other parts of government and saying you know this is quite actually difficult to achieve um I mean, the, the the noises at the moment are very much that the Chancellor does not want to um, reopen the spending review, which set the NHS funding. Um, so that would suggest that, you know, these fraught conversations are only going to get more fraught. Um, but then perhaps to end on a, a small ray of sunshine is that <laughs> it's not that far to a general election in which the NHS is probably going to be quite important and there will be some competition over who can give it more money so you know that that I guess is the kind of light mm. at the end of the tunnel. What times we're in to be looking forward to general election but thanks very much Henry and as he said um, do get in contact if there's anything you'd like to share on this subject but that brings the podcast to a close this week thanks so much for listening and just a reminder we're available every week on our website and across all main podcast channels thanks for listening and we'll see you next week